We're right back at it here on the Sided Podcast. This one, episode 24, Cameron Ezer back with you. And we're bringing on a guest that we had on, I think it was a few podcasts ago, Ian King. Ian, how you doing? Good, I'm good, Cameron. Thank you for having me back on. I'm looking forward to it. Let's get right into debating. Are you excited? Absolutely. And we had some pretty uh, monumental moments over the weekend, of course, the Euro 2020 final, as well as that McGregor Poirier trilogy or end of a trilogy fight. And that's where we're going to start to open up episode 24 of the Sided podcast. So let's get right into the debates on our website, Sided.co, as well as our Sided Debates app. Make sure you go on, you make an account. Your topic can be discussed on this podcast. And if you're just curious what people have to say about your certain debates, go on and start some debates. It's a fun thing to do. And if you post debates, vote on polls, join the conversation, you can get on that leaderboard on our website, Sided.co. If you're first, you win an Amazon gift card. Come on, it's free money. You get to debate some sports, debate anything you want, and you can win some money. And of course, make sure that you subscribe to our YouTube channel. We have a lot of content going through. Right now, I think there's 22 video episodes uh, on this channel. And then there's a bunch on our, on our podcast platforms as well. That down in the description too. So you're getting your swigs of water in. Let's get right into it. Talking some debates. And we're going to start with the one I put up because this one's about Conor McGregor and Dustin Poirier tied one apiece. And this was the trilogy fight that everyone was looking forward to. Poirier came out on top, but it was in an unexpected manner as Conor McGregor was forced to almost tap out of this fight because of a doctor stoppage after breaking a bone in his lower left leg. The options that I presented, wow, still in shock. Hopefully McGregor heals quick. Screw McGregor. He's so disrespectful and a sore loser, or we want a fourth fight out of those options. Ian with two minutes on the clock. Give me your first thoughts on this McGregor Poirier three fight. I think my first reaction was I was extremely shocked. Obviously watching that back gruesome injury. My thoughts about the Conor McGregor, you never want to see that happen. I also think it's really unfortunate that that's the way the fight ended. Um, you know, they've had a rivalry going for a while. So I hate that it ends because of an unfortunate injury that wasn't even caused by the fight. So my personal opinion is I hope they go back for a fourth fight once McGregor heals up, but my thoughts are out to him and I hope he has a speedy recovery. Yeah. So Dana White said there's going to be a fourth fight. He says once Conor McGregor heals and Dustin Poirier is going to challenge for that title fight at his weight class, that there's going to be a fourth fight because this is not how this rivalry of sorts can end. Poirier reiterated the same thing saying, we're either going to fight again in the ring or in the octagon, or we're going to fight on the sidewalk. And I think McGregor would say much of the same. I mean, my first thought was, wow. Like, are you kidding me? This is how this, you know, what we would think would be a, a climactic ending turns anticlimactic because of this freak injury. A lot are saying that it was because of Dustin Poirier after he checked a leg kick. I think it was just a freak injury because if you look back at the tape, Conor McGregor stepped back. There was no contact at all. It's a lot what we see with ACLs and Achilles in the NBA, in the NFL, MLB. We just saw it with Ronald Acuna Jr., I, I just, the, the biggest takeaway I have from this fight is, I mean, it's tough to root for McGregor after this fight, in my opinion, because he's been disrespectful his entire career. That's just what he's known for. He's a showman at heart, but what he was saying after the fight and what he was even saying leading up to the fight got a little too personal for my liking for, so for someone that loves how 
Conor McGregor carries himself as a showman. I wasn't too impressed with what he was trying to say. You can get in someone's head, but the things that he was saying to Poirier, I think Poirier had a great response to it saying, you know, this guy's a dirt bag. What he's been saying to me, not just about my family, but about, you know, personal health, whatever it may be. I just think that it's hard to root for McGregor going forward. In my opinion, McGregor's done. This injury proved that he's already way past his prime. But again, first thought, wow, I'm still in shock because of this fight. And I cannot wait for the fourth one, even though I think if it happens, Poirier is going to take it easily. Let's go to our second debate. And Ian, you posted this, the Euro 2020 final, it just wrapped up. And of course we post this a day after recording. So you're going to hear this on the Monday, even though Euro 2020 final was on Sunday. And it was an ending that we were all hoping for, where it goes to, uh, uh, nerve-wracking penalty shootout 1-1 this game couldn't be decided in the two-hour regular uh regular period time that it was taken and you go to penalties Italy pulls it out 3-2 England misses the final three penalties and that brings into the question the final penalty taker for England a 19 year old player that's a tough position to put anyone in when England hasn't won a Euro or Euro final in the first place so that brings up the question Ian should a guy like Raheem Sterling who's more experienced should he have taken the penalties to kick instead of Saka who's that 19 year old that I just mentioned yes or no yeah, I have to say I was extremely surprised that Sterling didn't step up to take the t- the kick. Obviously, Saka, sensational player, really young, and he's got an incredible career ahead of him. But in terms of national play and playing for his country and also just having those moments on a big stage, uh, being that young, he hasn't had that experience. And in a club final like this where you really got to win, uh, obviously everyone was backing England. They had a mod- bunch of momentum, and they really wanted to win. This was, quote-unquote, their tournament to win. I think it's really disappointing that you put the young guy up there and put all the pressure on him when you have a player like Raheem Sterling who's been tearing it up with Manchester City for so many years. So I do think it's disappointing. I think they should have put him up there. But also my heart goes out to Saka. Uh, Unfortunate that he did miss that. And I think he has a great career ahead of him. Yeah, so Italy, the champions. I'm going to disagree with you in this regard and say that, yeah, should Saka have been up there for the fifth penalty in that situation? Probably not. That's a lot of pressure to put on a young guy. But did Gareth Southgate Southgate, and the rest of England know that by that fifth penalty, they'd be in that situation? I don't think so. So it's a lot of pressure to put on a guy that young with not as much experience. Of course, Raheem Sterling, what? Does he have four Premier League titles at this point? You can rack up the trophies that he's garnered at Manchester City. But the thing is, when you're putting guys in that lineup, you're putting guys that have proven themselves in a penalty situation. I don't know Raheem Sterling's pedigree and resume when it comes to penalty kicks. I don't know if he would have been sixth if he would have been the guy to come up in that do or die situation, because of course England was going second while Italy was shooting first. So I'm not going to place that much blame on Southgate in that situation. I'll put more blame on the three and four uh, uh, penalty kickers for for England who missed and Marcus Rashford and, and, and Jaden Sancho, two guys that were brought on in the final minute to take a penalty. And both of them missed. So as much as I do want to place the blame on Saka because it just wasn't a confident penalty, I cannot say that Raheem Sterling should have been in that position because I would say that the two guys before Saka should have taken or should have made those penalties. It was it was their. I mean, that's the only reason they were in the game. 
So as much as I want to say, Saka, you gotta, you gotta do better there. It's such a tough one. It's such a, such an iffy call because guess what? I'm not Southgate on the sidelines in front of Wembley. So I wouldn't have known, but it's unfortunate not for Italy though, as they win the Euro 2020 final in England again falls at the penalty kick spot. Now let's head to our third debate. Jason posted this on our website, sided.co as well as our sided debates app. Who will be the 2021 NFL comeback player of the year? The options that he gives, Dak Prescott, Joe Burrow, Saquon Barkley, Christian McCaffrey, Nick Bosa, or is there another name that you want to throw out there? What are you giving me, Ian? Um, obviously, this is a pool of talented players that are coming back from injury, um, so I really do think it's anyone's game, but my personal pick is going to be Christian McCaffrey playing in a Panthers offense that, yes, it's improved, new quarterback, improving team, but his uh, his usage rate is extremely high in that offense. He is their star, and they play through him, even with the new quarterback. As good as Darnold, I think, can be with the Panthers, it's McCaffrey's team still on that offense. So him coming back, his usage rate's so high, I think he'll rack up a bunch of stats, and I think he will win the comeback player of the year. Ian, you think that Sam Darnold makes the Panthers better? I think Sam Darnold had a really rough stretch in New York. Now, do I ever think he's going to be a Super Bowl MVP or a league leading quarterback? No, but I do think he will be better than the quarterback that we saw in New York. Um, I don't think the Panthers are a playoff team this year, but they've got more talent and they are unarguably improving. So um, I think they'll get better this year. And I think Darnold can show some flashes of potential this year, maybe. And I, I hope he can succeed out there in Carolina. I'll say I'm a Darnold hater. I think Sam Darnold's awful. I don't think it was just a rough stretch. I just think he's a bad quarterback in general. But uh, I mean, anyway, Christian McCaffrey's uh, he's one of the top fantasy players in all of football, and he'll be one of the top players in football because you mentioned the usage rate. It's not just coming out of the backfield. It's also catching passes out of the backfield. So Christian McCaffrey, he's going to be the Carolina Panthers in a nutshell. So there's a lot of pressure put on him coming off that injury. But I'm going to go with Joe Burrow because he is the leader of this offense. He's always been the leader since this past year. But because of that injury, there's more emphasis placed on guarding him on that offensive line. I think the offensive line proves to be a bit more stout. And because AJ Green's gone, where's Joe Burrow going to go? And that's where I think that Joe Burrow shows how good of a quarterback he can be because it's all resting on the shoulders of Burrow. If you ask me to name five other players on the Cincinnati Bengals, I would struggle. Yeah, you have Joe Mixon back there, but when it comes to Burrow, he's going to have to rack up over 300 yards and over three touchdowns in the air, or even using his running ability for the Bengals to have any hope in that really tough division. So I'm going to go Joe Burrow because I think he has the most upside out of those guys coming off of injury. And it's all about him. It's not like someone else can take over for the Bengals. In the Panthers case, I look at a guy like Robbie Anderson, guy like DJ Moore. I mean, Sam Darnold, I have no hope in him, but you never know. He could locate more guys in the air than, you know, than just dishing it off to Christian McCaffrey. I look at Burrow. I mean, he might as well just be the franchise for the Bengals. They have nobody else. So I think more of an opportunity, it, it rests on the shoulders of Burrow. That's why he's going to be the comeback player of the year. And remember he played 10 games. So he already has a good amount of experience in the NFL. Now we're going to stick with football. Tommy posts this 
What team is likely to make the playoffs after missing it last year? It's a very interesting question, Ian, because there are a few teams when you talk about the playoff picture that probably should have made it, but didn't have the best season. Maybe it wasn't the best start of the season. We saw what happened in the NFC East. Of course, the Chargers had their, uh, had their downfalls at times. And that's why Tommy puts these four teams out there. The Chargers, the Vikings, the 49ers, or the Cardinals. Remember, 14 teams make the playoffs now it's not just 12 so more of an opportunity out of those four and of course you can throw out another team who do you think makes the playoffs that missed it last year with two minutes on the clock yeah i am gonna go with those one of those with one of those four excuse me and it's gonna be the arizona cardinals um the nfc west incredible division arguably actually i'm not gonna say arguably that is the best division in football this year there's so much talent there four teams that all should make the playoffs four teams in my opinion that are all super bowl contenders the 49ers, obviously, incredible team, a lot of talent. For me, it's having a rookie quarterback in there and Trey Lance. I don't know how much he can do to take them to the next level. Obviously, they have a lot of guys coming back from injury, so that team will be a lot better. I think they'll win a lot more games. But in terms of just quarterback play, I don't know whether they can really take that next step. Uh, the Cardinals, though, improved a lot, added their defense. J.J. Watt's a superstar. That defensive line is really scary now. If you have Kyler Murray, who's a dynamic quarterback, and so it's hard for me to say as a Seahawks fan, but I do think the Cardinals will make the playoffs this year. That's tough going against your allegiance. Do, okay. But this is, this is a good question because you said you're a Seahawks fan. Do you think that the Cardinals have a better record than the Seahawks? Cause you mentioned that these are all Super Bowl contenders. Both could make the playoffs. Yeah. Um, definitely a little bit of bias here, but it's hard for me to pick against Seattle winning that division. Um, obviously LA is the favorite. They've got a ton of talent and they brought in the new quarterback. That's going to be awesome for them. But this Seattle team, while they have lost a little bit of talent with Shaquille Griffin, they've added a lot. Their defensive line improved tremendously. I think Kerry Hyder is a sneaky addition there that's going to do great for that defensive line. And they also got Gabe Jackson to play guard. The offensive line has always been an issue. So those additions were great and will help the team a lot. But I think the biggest addition for Seattle that's going to help them is Shane Waldron to, play, or to coach the offense, to be offensive coordinator. That's a system where the ball is going to get out quicker. The offense is going to be more built around Russell Wilson using his legs, getting the ball out play action. So I think he's going to get sacked a lot less. And I think the offensive line troubles are going to be less apparent this year with the Seahawks team. And for that reason, I'm going with the chargers. You, you talked about the players, but I'm going to talk about the coaches. Brandon Staley is the new coach of the chargers. What was holding back this LA team? In my opinion, it was partly Anthony Lynn and his scheme and how he was putting forward both the offense and the defense. Now you have a defensive minded coach with a better offensive coordinator. And you're talking about a guy in Justin Herbert that's coming off one of the best rookie seasons that we've ever seen. On top of that, Austin Eckler is healthy. He's making a lot of money. You know, he's happy. Mike Williams is healthy to start the season. Keenan Allen, much of the same. You look at a guy like Jalen Guyton has a lot more confidence has a role on that team. That's something that you didn't know if he had last season. Same with Tyron Johnson. I'm, I'm interested to see what Josh Palmer does. The third round pick out of Tennessee. There's so many weapons on this chargers team. And I haven't even mentioned the defense. If Derwin James stays healthy, Jerry Tillery plays up to his full potential because of what Brandon Staley did with that defensive scheme for the LA Rams. If Joey Bosa, all those guys, if Isaac Rochelle, if those guys can get it going because Staley's a defensive minded coach and has led this Rams defense to the best defense over the past couple of years, if he can do the same with the counterpart in LA with the chargers, I think this chargers team, no doubt makes the playoffs. I think that 
It's a little tough to tell only because they're not winning the division. We know the chiefs are winning the division. So you talk about who's going to win the division, the NFC West. Well, I'm going to, you know, I'm, I'm iffy with the AFC West as well. So I think that extra wild card spot really plays into the favor of the LA chargers, because I think they have a better season because of that new coaching staff and guys coming back healthy. But I mean, in my opinion, the chargers and the Cardinals are both making the playoffs. If they don't, it's a disappointment for both those franchises staying with in the NFL, Tommy again, and we love that Tommy is posting nonstop. That's why he gets on the sided podcast. So go to our website and our app. They're both down in the description. If you just want to click on those links, make an account, post some debates. Your topic can be discussed on this podcast. And even if you don't want it on this podcast, just post it anyway. If you just want to know what other people think about a curious, you know, a curiosity that you have on any sports topic. If you do want to be on this podcast, I'm linking an email down in the description. Email me at sidedpodcast at gmail.com and express your interest with being on this podcast. Just like Ian is today, you can get on the sided podcast from over 24 episodes in, and we're not stopping anytime soon. And again, subscribe to our YouTube channel. This is the fifth topic before our final debate of the day. Ian, what NFL player made the best switch when it comes to either in free agency or in trades? Carson Wentz from Philly to Indy, Jared Goff from the uh, uh, from Detroit to, or pardon me, from the Rams to Detroit. There's a lot of, a lot of things I got to throw out there. Andy Dalton from Dallas to Chicago, Matt Stafford from Detroit to LA and that Jared Goff deal, Sam Darnold to the Jets in Carolina to, to Carolina. You know, my opinion on that or Joe Flacco from the Jets to the Eagles. What are you giving me there with two minutes on the clock? I think there's one you can throw away right away or throw out right away as the worst one. And I think it's Andy Dalton to the bears. He's not even going to start. I think Justin Fields wins that starting position pretty early. So I don't think it's going to be him. My pick as much as I hate to admit it is Matthew Stafford to the Rams. Jared Goff was really holding that team back. It was apparent in their playoff games, even in the regular season, he just missed open receivers and their offense was built around throwing so much. It was just extremely disappointing to watch him personally lose them games all the time. So having a quarterback like Matthew Stafford, who the the debate of whether he's a lead or not, you know, that's a, that's a debate for another day, but um, he's definitely an upgrade. And I think he will help the Rams offense a lot, um, which is scary for me, but I think that's definitely the best move personally for him and also for the team. I completely disagree with you. I actually don't think Matthew Stafford as high as he's been talked up to be. I don't think he's that good of a quarterback. I think people are treating Matt Stafford as a guy that was put into a system in Detroit where he had no room to succeed. In my opinion, Stafford to the Rams and Goff to the Lions is a wash and will do absolutely nothing at all. One guy that I see making a premier impact on a team is Carson Wentz. What has Indianapolis been missing? It's been missing a consistent quarterback ever since Andrew Luck, ever since Peyton Manning. You can't throw out a guy like Jacoby Brissett and hope that he has success. And then after a while, you didn't even want Brissett out there. So now you're in a you're in a, a, a you know a wishy washy situation where there's no one that you want at the quarterback position with so much talent around that team. Philip Rivers proved that you can be a 40 year old quarterback still have success. Because the Colts did. They're in a tough division with the Titans, but I think the Colts have the talent to match up with the Tennessee Titans. Carson Wentz makes this team five times better, in my opinion. 
You have receivers that finally have a quarterback that can do both. He can run out of the pocket, escape easily, or he can throw deep downfield. T.Y. Hilton's going to benefit off of it. Michael Pittman's going to do much of the same. I think Jonathan Taylor in the backfield is already proving himself as a top 10 running back in the entire NFL. So now you have a guy back there that can be a decoy, but also a threat coming out of the backfield. I mean, Philly, this is my PSA to you. You messed up. Not because Carson Wentz was, you know, had a great last season. He didn't. But you messed up because he didn't give Carson Wentz time. He is going to prove to you that he has the ability to take the Colts to a possible AFC championship berth. And to you, that might sound blasphemous. But I think that Carson Wentz is the guy that the Indianapolis Colts have been missing. Because if there's one position that the Colts have not, you know, had any, any just major success in since Andrew Luck, it's been the quarterback slot. I know I saw you like a little iffy on that. Are you, was that, was that too much of a hefty claim? I, uh, I do think Carson Wentz is a better quarterback than the quarterback that we saw last year. He was terrible last year. That's the only way to put it. The Eagles were terrible. Their quarterback play all over, even Hurts. Yeah, he was all right, but you know. Um, it's hard for me to imagine, obviously you're right. This Colts team is incredibly talented and the quarterback is the one spot they're missing. I think they will improve with Wentz and I think Wentz will have a bounce back season next year, but the, uh, the claim of being the AFC champion, that's a bold claim. There's a lot of talent in the AFC. Um, and that team definitely has the talent to do it. But I think that Wentz isn't enough of a good quarterback, not necessarily elite in my eyes, um, to take them to a Super Bowl. So that's just, that's a bold claim for me, but I'll, I'll take your word on it. Hey, give me the horseshoe. Why not? Okay, let's head to our final debate of the day. This one in the baseball realm as Jake Hirschfield posts this. Ian, I'm going to give you the floor. You have one minute on the clock. Are analytics ruining baseball? Yes, no, or it's not the analytics. It's the interpretations of them. Give me what you think. Yeah, I like that third option a lot. I think that analytics are a good thing for baseball. Um, it's obviously always been a strategical game. When do you bunt? When do you steal? That's how baseball is. It's a strategic game. And I think the analytics and statistics behind baseball are just moving that even more forward. So I really like that. Obviously, there's a talk in baseball right now about getting rid of the DH in the national or getting adding the DH to the National League. Um, I don't like that. I really like the strategy of what do you do with your pitcher? When do you pinch hit? That's all analytics. And I really like that side of baseball. So I'm a big fan of analytics. I think they're being misinterpreted and used as blame for the way baseball is going right now. When it's really in its renaissance, baseball is coming back in popularity. Um, and I love the way the analytics are supporting it. People need to stop just nagging on just sports finally growing up. Like sports are enhancing. Deal with it. Sports are, are getting better because of the analytics. And if you don't agree with that, then you, you have been watching way too many old baseball movies and you've been watching way too much old baseball, way too many old sports. Guess what? Sports are getting better. And you mentioned it. Baseball is getting better. It might seem surprising, but we finally get an entertaining game. No offense to baseball. It's been, what, 10, 15 years since we've had an entertaining game, and we're finally getting back to it because of the individual players. The reason that this is even a critique is because a team like the Yankees is using analytics heavily, and they're losing. Guess what? They're just, it, unfortunately, they're getting unlucky. That sometimes happens with numbers, but you have to take advantage of what works. 
analytics are going to help every single sport, just like replay does. It's how the game moves forward. It's how it enhances. And overall analytics are making baseball better. You just don't see it because as a fan, if your team's doing poorly, you're going to have to blame it on something that isn't the players. So I'm going to completely agree with you. You know, I don't like to do this on that, on this show, but I'm going to completely agree with you. Analytics are a good thing. Baseball developing is a great thing. 24 episodes into the sided podcast. Ian, can you believe it? Time's flying. You're doing a great job as the host. And I really appreciate you having me on for a second time. And I look forward to coming back again soon. Hey, you're, you're always welcome on this podcast. We love the different guests. I like to call you guys co-hosts over guests, but I've kind of, you know, I, I've, I feel like I've adopted that guest term. I might go back to the co-host term because you guys are doing a great job. Ian, again, thanks so much for being on for the second time. We're going to get you on for a third, fourth, fifth for as long as this podcast goes on. I'm not stopping anytime soon. So I would love to have you back on, have everyone back on. If you want to be on the sided podcast, email me down below in the description or just comment on this YouTube channel and say, or this YouTube video and say, I want to be on the sided podcast. You can also go to our website, sided.co and our sided debates app and just put up debates. If I see that you're making an effort to post those debates and voting on polls and getting on that leaderboard, I want you on this podcast because I want as many opinions as possible, but for Cameron Ezer and Ian King and for episode 24 of the sided podcast, you don't have to wait much longer to hear our voices again. We'll catch you next time.